0: Welcome to Visiting Professors. This is medical oncologist Dr. Neil Love. For many years, our Meet the Professor audio series has been an important centerpiece in our offerings because the format allows medical oncologists in practice to present real but de-identified patients to clinical investigators. Visiting Professors takes this concept to the next level by allowing investigators to actually meet patients from the practices of community-based oncologists. In this case, Dr. Mark Pegram visited the practice of Dr. William Harwin of Naples, Florida, and spent several hours meeting five patients with metastatic breast cancer, after which he and Dr. Harwin met with me to review these cases. To begin, Dr. Harwin presents a woman who presented with pancytopenia four years after original diagnosis.
1: This is a 60-year-old white female who had a mastectomy in New York in 2003. She had two separate large primary tumors, six-and-a-half and two-and-a-half and two and centimeters, nine positive nodes, and histologically was an infiltrating lobular carcinoma. She was treated with adjuvant dose-dense AC, then taxol, and had post-mastectomy radiation. Her profile was both estrogen and progesterone receptor positive and HER2-new negative by fish. She moved to Florida late this year with a history of a rising CA 2729 of 223. She actually had also been treated with an aromatase inhibitor, and her oncologist up north had actually changed it from arimidex to stain. But her marker was continuing to rise. She also had an elevated CA, and she had thrombocytopenia. She had a bone scan that showed a few suspicious areas, but nothing that could be definitive with plain imaging and an MRI scan. I elected, because of her thrombocytopenia, to do a bone marrow. And that showed metastatic carcinoma consistent with breast primary. Now, Were you able to get markers, ER or HER2 on that? Yes, she was
0: HER2-negative by FISH, and it was
1: receptor positive
0: by immunoproxtase. Mark, any comment on the issue of assaying for ER and HER2 in bone marrow? You certainly can do it.
2: You can do it by immunostaining on the aspirate if you have enough malignant epithelial cells or you can do it on decalcified bone marrow biopsies so long as you don't over decalcify. If you decalcify too long, you could lose signal. But if the decalcification isn't overly robust, you could still get ER, ERPR and you can get fluorescence in situ hybridization
0: on a bone marrow biopsy as well for the HER2 analysis. And where was the ER and HER2 done on this lady? This was done in Orlando. Mark, any comments on that lab and the report that came back with it? That's a very large reference
2: laboratory in this region, and so because of their high volume, I would assume that they probably conform to various guidelines and SOPs with regard to specimen processing and the types of reagents that they use. Their reports certainly seem thorough. I noticed on the FISH analysis report that they report both the absolute number of HER2 genes per nucleus and the absolute number of chromosome 17 centromeres, and the ratio. Just based on their known volumes in the region and the quality of the written report, I would really not have any hesitation with their results. Anything to look for on the ER report? Yeah, with ER and PR analysis, what you expect to see on a pathology report is not only positive or negative. What you're really looking for is the percentage of nuclei that are standing positive, as well as the intensity of the staining in the nuclei, And so if they report an all red score or at least quantitation of both intensity and percentage positive staining, those are important measures of quality of the laboratory and quality of their reports.
0: Now, how about in this report? Was that present? Yes, this was present. It had both intensity staining and percentage staining. Bill, so, you know, she now has metastatic disease in her marrow. What happened at that point?
1: So her platelet count was 70,000. She didn't have any other definite sites of disease except maybe some bone metastases. A PET scan didn't show anything. And I initially decided to treat her with Fasaldex. But clinically, she just didn't do well. She didn't really have any side effects in Fasaldex, but she developed a lot of nausea. She had some bone pain, was just overall malaise and failure to
0: thrive. A quick question, Mark, in terms of choice of hormonal therapy in this postmenopausal lady who'd had a couple different AIs, she got fulvestrin, another option might have been tamoxifen. How do you sort through that? I think it's a perfectly reasonable
2: choice. In as much as she had had prior AIs, fulvestrin would be a logical choice after exemestane treatment for a metastatic situation. If she had never had tamoxifen, that would also still
1: be on the list, and that could be considered for the future. So she really didn't do that well in fulvestrant. The problem was she had just unexplained fairly severe nausea. And I believe we also imaged her brain. There was no etiology, so I referred her to a gastroenterologist. Now, what was going on with her platelet count on the fulvestrant? Her platelet count actually went up a little bit. It was over. It went up over 100,000, so that improved. But she was developing GI problems. Yes. And so what happened? She underwent an EGD and it showed extensive changes in her stomach with diffuse gastritis, erythema, nodularity, exudates, and erosions. And multiple biopsies showed poorly differentiated carcinoma with signet ring cell features consistent with breast primary. Interestingly, Mark and I went back and looked at her original pathology report from New Jersey. It showed infiltrating lobular carcinoma. They also
0: mentioned the signet ring cell features. So Mark, I guess the CGI involvement in infiltrating lobular is not unusual, I guess, or it's... Not at all. I mean,
2: lobular carcinomas have a predilection for the gastrointestinal tract, serosal surfaces in particular, but also the pleuropericardium is another frequent site of disease spread. So this is a classical situation for a lobular carcinoma.
0: I guess the other thing, I guess it would be classical
2: with the ER positive or HER2 negative. That's absolutely correct. It's rare indeed to have HER2 gene amplification in a pure lobular breast cancer. So again, another reason why I really wouldn't question the marker profiles here, given the known histology,
0: this is really quite consistent. Now, at the point that she had the endoscopy showing these findings, Bill, was she had lost some weight? Yes, she had lost some weight. Were you concerned about her, or was she looking really ill at that point? Or yeah, just... She
1: was starting to look ill, and I was concerned. I knew something had to be going on because she was deteriorating, but there wasn't anything I could put my hands on.
0: Were you suspicious that it was tumor in the GI tract? I really was in
1: this case. I thought that we might find that. So what did you do at that point? Well, I elected to start systemic chemotherapy, and she began treatment with Abraxane and Bevacizumab.
0: And she's had two cycles now, just beginning her third cycle. So when you two saw her today, what was going on in terms of GI symptoms? I thought
1: she really was going to report that she was feeling a little better, but she's really been emotionally distraught ever since we started. And both the patient and her husband have not adjusted well to this. Her nausea really has improved a lot because she was extremely nauseous before, but she today was complaining a lot about diarrhea, and that wasn't something I was aware of. She was having so much diarrhea, so that was kind of a new symptom. Her bone pain, she also said, had gotten better.
0: Bone pain. Does she have bone disease?
1: Well, she has some bone mets by bone scan. Doesn't show up on PET. Hard to say on plain images, but she had
0: some rib pain that got better once she started Abraxane and Bevacizumab. Now, was her husband there today? Yes. So, Mark, what was your take as sort of an outsider coming in and meeting her for the first time? It sounds like it's kind of difficult to separate out the symptoms from the GI involvement from maybe some other metastatic issues and maybe some psychosocial issues. What did you see there today?
2: That's exactly the situation. You know, I thought it was very challenging to separate which of these are actually disease related symptoms, particularly the diarrhea, or whether or not the diarrhea could be a new side effect from the Abraxane. Or a third possibility that we considered is that the diarrhea is another problem, and so for that reason, I think it's reasonable to embark on a workup, maybe see the gastroenterologist again. They might want to do a C. diff toxin assay, do some cultures, et cetera, et cetera, and just make sure she doesn't have something
0: else going on that's treatable. Now, you talked about lobular carcinoma in the GI tract. Is there any site or syndrome that you could see diarrhea with? You could certainly
2: envision the possibility of getting a malabsorption syndrome if there's a significant amount of the GI tract that's involved. So it's within the realm of possibility that she might have a malabsorptive process as a result of tumor infiltration into the bowel wall. Is there any laboratory tests,
0: maybe a quick way to look at that fecal fat or something?
2: Yeah, you could look at stool electrolytes, stool composition, and see, you know, exactly if it fits with a secretory versus malabsorption kind of process. And they can also look for inflammatory cells and quickly try to get a handle on it. In the meantime, what we talked about, in case it's an adverse event of the taxane, we might be able to tweak the dose a little bit since she's on the weekly at 100 per meter schedule. It would be easy enough to tweak that downward for the next few weeks and see if
0: that helps a little bit. So you're saying you can see diarrhea with the taxanes?
2: Yeah, I think occasionally you can get GI adverse events from this class of agents. Have you ever seen that,
0: Bill?
1: Yes, I mean, not everyone, but occasionally with both Taxotere and Taxol, I think I've seen a little bit more with Taxotere, but occasionally a few patients can develop significant diarrhea. They're a minority,
0: but it's definitely a side effect. Now, again, trying to sort out these symptoms, again, Mark, you're coming in from the outside. What did you observe in sort of the psychosocial way this was playing out? Anything she said or her husband said that gave you any clues about what's going on there?
2: A lot of clues. I mean, they're having a real tough time with the disease. Now she has yet another symptom that's, you know, more or less unexplained. I think that was troublesome that nobody could tell her just yet exactly what the cause was or what the solution is. The good news is she was having some benefit just from symptomatic treatment with some Imodium. So that's another reason to lead me to believe that it might be just a chemo-related side effect. But they were clearly acknowledging that they were having a tough time. The husband actually almost became tearful at one point in relating some of their home life and experiences. And so clearly it's been a struggle. It's been a long disease process and it's been a real challenge for them.
0: And I guess you could be looking at a situation here where the Abraxane and Bev aren't going to help. Sure. If that's the case, Bill, what would you be thinking as your next
1: move? Well, we talked about Zalota was the main thing we discussed. She has had a little bit of drop in her markers, and she's scheduled to have a repeat upper endoscopy to get some sense of an
0: objective response or not. Now, what is going on with her markers? You said originally the diagnosis kind of came up because of markers. What's happened subsequently?
1: Her CA 2729 was in the mid-600s. It's dropped into maybe the high 400s. She also had a CA elevation that dropped somewhat. We only had maybe two follow-ups because she just started treatment
0: in March. Mark, what about drops, you know, for example, something from 600 to 400, is that something that, you know, is a clue or really just sort of play a chance?
2: Yeah, I mean, as you know, drops and markers don't always correlate with objective disease responses by radiographic measures. It's a little bit disconcerting that it didn't plummet all the way down to the normal range. I mean, if someone was going to have a real robust response, sometimes you'll see the markers completely normalize rapidly, and that's always gratifying. So sure, this probably suggests that she does have significant residual disease burden. But again, the good news is overall, her upper GI symptoms are improved. Her marrow function is markedly improved. Her bone pain is better. So if we can get around some of the adverse events on her current regimen, maybe she could hold off on this for a little longer and get a little more mileage on it. But the other good news is there's a lot of other agents to consider in the salvage setting. She's never had Zolota. She's never had veneril bean. She's never had gemcitabine. So, I mean, we do have some room to move in case we have to fall back to another salvage regimen.
0: What about circulating tumor cells, Bill? Are you incorporating that into your practice, you know, for particularly a patient like this where you're kind of having a hard time figuring out what's going on?
1: We haven't been. We looked at the Viridex assay and we thought about it, and it's actually reimbursable by Medicare. But what bothered our doctors is we just don't see people doing it in academics. We haven't seen a lot of articles in JCO. We're kind of
0: hesitant to incorporate into our routine practice. What about circulating tumor cells, Mark, particularly in this kind of patient? I don't routinely use them either. We do have that capability
2: at our center in Miami. But sadly, Neil, the situation with interpretation of response and metastatic breast cancer, sadly, it's usually all too easy to see how well or how poorly a particular patient is doing. I mean, I guess this might be the rare circumstance where in sort of a bone and GI only presentation where maybe it might have been somewhat helpful. But on the other hand, she's got markers already to follow. She's got blood counts you can follow. So I don't know that it would have changed much in my view, and I wouldn't routinely get them.